All right, so this weekend, we, we have the amazing privilege of watching people get baptized. And that is, we've got eight people throughout this weekend um, that are making that decision to publicly declare their connection, their allegiance to Jesus, their, their connection to the body of Christ. Um, but as a church, we know that we bring, a lot of people come to this church that grew up with zero church backdrop. I mean, pre coming to NBC with a friend or a family member, pretty much they'd probably self-identify as agnostic or atheist, possibly. Um, a lot of other people grew up in different uh, traditions of the 31 flavors of Christianity where baptism meant one thing, or we were, most of us in this room, we were baptized as babies. Um, and so the idea of what baptism is from scripture, or what we believe as a church, can be a little bit confusing unless we teach it. And so what we want to do is a few times a year, we want to give an opportunity to review what is it from Scripture that we see baptism meaning and saying, and um, how do, what is it that we communicate to those being baptized with regard to this. In our Articles of Faith, um, we have, the, you could see everything we believe as a church in our Articles of Faith that's on our website, but it says this, we believe that Christian baptism is an act of obedience following a person's salvation. It is the immersion of a believer in water that testifies of their faith in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior, and their union with him in death to sin and resurrection to new life. And just real quick, that's what you're seeing when someone is baptized. They're identifying with the death and burial and the resurrection of Christ. It is also a sign of fellowship and identification with the visible body of Christ, Baptism is not a saving act of grace, nor is it necessary for salvation. The New Testament biblical pattern is salvation, baptism, and association with the local church. And so this is, as a church, this is what we believe as a church. And really, all of that can be rooted to a couple passages, but one of the primary passages, and one of the primary reasons if you've been baptized as a Christian that you could point to as the source for this is Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. And the reason this is such a big deal is because this is what Jesus said after he died on the cross, after he rose from the grave, and before he went back to be with the Father, and before he launches this group of teenagers out to start a revolution that would ultimately kill them. What Jesus says in these verses is imperative. And the reason that you were baptized, if you were baptized, is because of what Jesus says in this section right here. Um, if you could go ahead and stand as we read God's word. And I'm going to start back two verses before in verse 16 that says this, starts with this. Again, this is before Jesus goes back to, the, to heaven to be with the heavenly father. And this is after, after he has died on the cross and risen from the grave. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Just hold, for, hold for a second. I love that. I love that the Bible doesn't censor that out. That the New Testament writers many of whom were in that group, didn't bleep that out. Because you have people wrestling with doubt and struggling in their faith, even seeing Jesus face to face. If you've ever wrestled with your own faith and, and experienced doubt and said, I just wish that I could see Jesus face to face. If I could see him, that would make all the difference. According to, human, to this account, the human condition is one that's it's difficult to believe. And we wrestle with our faith and we have doubt. And yet, they still connected their faith to action from that point on. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Amen? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The amazing thing we see in this passage is Jesus unpacking his, what's called the Great Commission, because this is like, this is the mission that they're now going on. And the interesting thing about that word baptism is as familiar as it is, even if you're not super churchy, people know what baptism is. It's where people get wet in front of other people. We don't know why. And so what we'd want to do as a church is help us understand what is baptism. And, and if you've seen this before, this is review, but I hope that it just keeps on washing over you so that this is something that we can see more and more. Baptism starts off with actually the name itself, which is bapto or baptizo. Now, there's one of these words that Jesus uses in that great commission and one of them that he doesn't. Both of them mean to dip or to dunk or to immerse. That's what baptism means, dip, dunk, or immerse. In fact, you would be doing your Bible a favor if you went through and finished the translation process the translation process is to translate something from Greek in the New Testament or Aramaic into English. And yet, our English Bibles, and we go to that passage, every word up there is translated from Greek into English, except one. There is only one word in that whole thing that is left in the original Greek as a transliteration, and that's baptizing, which is super goofy. Because I don't understand why we don't just translate it as what it's saying, because what it's saying is, what Jesus is saying is make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's, he's talking about a practice that was taking place that, that people understood as doing just that. So the first thing that is so important for us to understand about baptism is the name and the significance of the name. And this always brings me back to salsa. Because everything always brings me back to salsa. Now, when you go to, if you, after a service today, if you went out to eat and you wanted to grab uh, some Los uh, Campesinos uh, Mexican food here in town, new restaurant, awesome, and you went there, before you get your food, possibly even before you order your food, what do they put on the table? Chips and salsa. They don't just give you chips. Why? Yeah, because salsa. I mean, chips are chips and that's great, but you... Something happens when, the, and when you take a, a chip, what is it that you're doing in the salsa? You're baptizing it. That's right. You are baptizing that chip. When you dip, you're using the Greek word for dip, dunk, or immerse. And the reason that you do that is if you take a normal bland chip and you baptize it, you immerse it in the salsa, it is totally different. It's actually incredibly enjoyable, whereas the other one was somewhat bland. The word baptism, baptizo, Bapto comes from this, this idea of die. And what, what people would do in the first century and before is, what they, is if they wanted to, to get a, a shirt color that, that would be like red or something, they would take the cloth and the fabric as it is. They would, you know, the off-white, you know, cotton or whatever fabric that they're looming together. And they would take it as is and then they would bring it over to a vat of dye. And they would take that fabric as is and they would baptize it. That was the word that that's what they would say. We're baptizing our clothing. And once you took this, this off-white, you know, cotton or whatever it was, and you put it in the dye, does it come back the same? Does it come out off-white the way it looked before? Uh-uh. It's transformed. And people, after a while, are kind of like, that's kind of like what happens with God in us. It's like he takes us just as we are, 
but he loves us so much he doesn't keep us that way. Like, it's like all of me is transformed by all of him and the world will never see me the same ever again. The difference between bapto and, and baptizo is important too because you'll see bapto in the New Testament. When Judas is uh, dipping the bread, it, that's bapto. Again, to dip, dunk, or immerse. When, Jesus, when Judas does that with Jesus at the Last Supper, that's bapto. But Jesus doesn't say go into the whole world and bapto people. He says baptizo. And the importance is significant. And we find out the difference between them with a guy named Nicander, who is a, a 200 BC Greek philosopher, poet, and apparently recipe dude. Because what he liked to do was write recipes in addition to poetry and philosophy. So, because those things obviously go together. He had this recipe for pickles where he talks about taking a cucumber. And you take a cucumber and you bapto it in boiling water. You what? Immerse it in boiling water. Now, if I take a cucumber and I put it in boiling water, what comes out? A boiled cucumber. It's not a pickle yet. If you take a carrot and you take a carrot and you put it in boiling water, you bapto it in boiling water, what comes out? A boiled carrot. Same thing. It's just softer and that, you know, that. But then Nicander says, after you bapto it in boiling water, you take out that baptoed cucumber and you baptizo it in vinegar. That's what makes it a pickle. Now, once you have a pickle, can you unpickle a pickle and make it a cucumber again? Uh-uh. It's a pickle forever. <laughs> and that's the word that Jesus, that's the word that they translate Jesus saying. When he talks about immersion, he's talking about the same picture as the dye, the same picture of God takes us just as we are, but he loves us so much he doesn't keep us that way, and we are transformed by God. Baptism, why do we get baptized? Because we're proclaiming to people there is a transformation that's taken place. God took me just as I was, but he loved me so much he didn't keep me that way, and so I want to communicate that with everyone else. But another cool thing about baptism is that we don't baptize people just with blessings or a prayer. We don't baptize people with air, holy air around them or anything like that. We baptize people in water. And water is something that, as we've talked about as a church, is something that's significant with people in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament. One of the things that Jesus does with his disciples is he takes them consistently into death-defying situations. Jesus would have been fired as a youth pastor like in two weeks if he was around today because he would take these guys, many of whom were teenagers, and he would bring them to death-defying situations. Oftentimes, he would put them into political situations or straight-up deadly situations with regard to the weather. One of the things that he did was he would uh, bring his disciples to the uh, Sea of Galilee. Um, their home base was right there in Capernaum where a lot of the ministry took place. And so it wasn't odd for people to go out into the water if you were a fisherman, but everyone was afraid of water because not many people knew how to swim, including, including a lot of the fishermen. A lot of the fishermen did not know how to swim. That's why you have a lot of poorer fishermen fishing from the shoreline. When Jesus is calling his disciples, some of the poor fishermen were shoreline fishermen. They couldn't afford a boat and they didn't know how to swim. And so swimming was something that was super, super not, not commonplace. So getting in a boat, I mean, that's a step of faith. 
And the problem with the Sea of Galilee is this. You get out, and if and you've been on one of the trips, um, if you want to go on the next Israel trip, you need to talk to Pastor Jason. It's going to be epic. But one of the things you do is you go out there on the Sea of Galilee. And the, the Sea of Galilee is kind of like nestled between these, these cliffs. And it's just beautiful and serene, beautiful day. And, and most of the time, that's the way it is. The problem with the Sea of Galilee is because of those cliffs, you can't see what's happening. You don't have, a, in the first century, you do not have a weather report. You don't have an AccuWeather app to tell you a storm is coming. Tom Skilling ain't going to tell you because he wasn't around in the first century. The second century he was, but not the first. And so all of a sudden, the disciples are out there in the middle of the, the Sea of Galilee, and a rogue storm comes over, bam, and hits. Hits the, this boat and hits the Sea the, of Galilee, this lake, and now it's just getting tossed around. And these guys, these kids, these Jewish kids are freaking out. They're freaking out because they know they're going to die. But on top of that, they're freaking out because all of these kids grew up with an understanding of water that was more than just something that was scary. In the beginning of the Bible, you have a poetic description of God before he gets his hands dirty with creation, before God actually brings his creativity into creation. It says, in the beginning, the earth was formless and void and covered with water. Water was a picture of before God actually brings the creative juices of his plan into a place, it's covered with. You fast forward the time of Noah. The world is messed up. It's wicked. Super, super bad. People are doing awful things to each other. And God's just going to hit the reset button on all of creation, but he preserves a family, Noah and his family. But with everyone else, with, in the face of the toxicity of sin, he judges the entire world. And how does he judge them? With what? Water. Fast forward, you get to Moses, and you have Moses who's liberating God's people shackled in Egypt from the Pharaoh's reign, and he finally gets the green light to get him out, and he's booking. God has got a promised land for us. We got to get over there. That's where the promised land is. We are God's promised people, his chosen people. That's the chosen place. Boom, let's go. And they're going, but they can't get to where God wants them to get to because of what? Water. They're blockaded by water, and all of a sudden they're like, well, what is up with this? If you're such a good God, why would you allow the water to be here? See, this is how it always is in my life. God wants me to be someplace, but there's this barrier, this, this breaking point that I can't get through. So what does God do? You've seen the prince of Egypt? Amazing. The water gets peeled back. God shows all of his people, you're afraid, but I'm greater than your fear. This picture of sin and chaos, this is what all of us experience. This is all of our story. All of us know what it's like. Where we've, we've had like, look, I'm giving God this portion of my life or this portion of my life, but this portion of my life, I'm going to compartmentalize this over here so this is just me. And we start to dip our toe into sin and then we're knee high in it, but we're still in control. But before we know it, we're like in over our head and the riptide is pulling us deeper and deeper and deeper. And the chaos of sin makes us scared and afraid and frantic because we realize how damned we are in the midst of our own choices. Which brings us back to Jesus in the boat. You have all of these young Jewish kids, these teenagers who are now freaking out frantic about the fact that they're going to die. Like, like this is so dumb. Why did we do this? Why did he bring us here? Our parents didn't even sign permission slips for this. What's going on? And they look to their youth pastor, Jesus, and they're looking down at what is Jesus doing? In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the fear of the water around them, what is Jesus doing? What is wrong with this person? Are you not afraid of death? Does this not scare you? Are you? Do you have no fear in your... Do you know... You're a rabbi. You should know what water represents and it doesn't scare you. It doesn't intimidate you. So they wake up Jesus and Jesus does something that they all 
Remember, they'll never forget it, and they record it in the Gospels. Jesus stands up, and it says that in a word, he silences everything and just says, be still, and it doesn't slowly dissipate. The clouds don't slowly start to move out of the area. The water doesn't slowly come to a peaceful still. Silence, stillness, peace, which spooks these guys like nobody's business because they're looking at each other going, who's in the boat with us? (laughs) And they say that. They say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? What is Jesus teaching them? In this life, you have chaos as a result of your own sin and the sin of other people. And that causes us great fear. How do we manage a life like that? How do we navigate this world that we live in? Well, if Jesus is in the boat with us, it's a different story. We don't have to fear sin. We don't have to fear fear if Jesus is in the boat. Baptism is a picture of that. We actually baptize people in the very thing that they were so scared of because it's, again, a picture, not only of the chaos of the world, but it's a picture of cleansing. And the fact that everyone that's getting baptized has affirmed the fact I ha- I, I'm a person who sins, I'm a person who's afraid, but Jesus is in the boat. So it's a picture of transformation. It's a picture of Jesus being greater than fear and sin. And it's also a picture of, of well, if you're married, you've got one of these on. And I, I never, ever, ever take off my wedding ring. Um, some of you guys have to take off your wedding ring because of work and you know, you're around machines that will like tear your hand off. And so it's probably a good idea for you not to wear a wedding ring. <laughs> But I, I'm, in a, I'm in a line of work that that's not a, a threat. <laughs> While I'm here on the church campus. <laughs> um, and I, and I, the only time I ever take off my wedding ring is when I talk about baptism, but I'm not going to take it off today because uh, last night it shrunk a little bit and it's, it's just weird. But I got this. The wedding ring is, is, is the most amazing souvenir you're ever going to get. It's a souvenir from your wedding day. It's like you were there. Got the wedding ring souvenir. And I got this on June 13th, 1998. That's when I got my wedding ring souvenir from Julie. And I've worn it ever since. And, I, and again, I never take it off. Not because um, I'm just, you know, not for any other reason, honestly, other than I'm terrified that I'm going to lose this. I'm such a flake that I know that if it's not literally attached to my body, it will be bye-bye real soon. So I'm so glad I don't have glasses. I will sit on glasses, scratch it. It'll, it'll be awful. But with a wedding ring, this is something very valuable because this is the souvenir for my wedding day. And I remember growing up, in fact, my wedding ring, uh, if you look at it, and if my dad was here and you saw my dad's wedding ring, it would look exactly like my dad's wedding ring because I wanted my wedding ring to look like my dad. I remember being a little kid and putting my little tiny hand in my dad's hand and looking at um, his you know, man hand and his, and his wedding ring, his wedding band. And I'm like, I want to have something like that. I remember my dad always wore his wedding ring except for when he went to bed. And I remember my, when my, waking my parents up one day and my dad's waking up and his wedding ring wasn't on. It's on the, the nightstand next to him. And he wakes up, puts it on and goes out. Before he'd go to bed, and he'd go to bed. And he did that every single day. And I don't do that because I'm terrified of losing my wedding ring. Because if I took it off, I... But what if I said, seriously, hold on, though. I'm 42 years old. 42 years old. Like, my dad was a man. I, too, am a man. I should be the kind of man that can 
take off a wedding ring at night, put it down and wake up in the morning and have the, the, the lack of flakiness to remember to put that back on. And let's say I do that. And you're like, go, Errol, you can do it. And I do for four days. And then I lose it. And you see me and you're like, dude, where's your wedding ring? I'm like, oh my God. I lost it. Would you shake your head and say, oh my goodness, your marriage is over. You're no, at, you're no longer married. You're not married to Julie. Would that be true or false? Why is that false? It's a symbol. It's a symbol. Baptism is like that. Baptism is a symbol. It's a symbol. You know how I know that it's just a symbol? Because whether or not I've got this on, June 13th, 1998 happened. It happened. And if you're a Christian, that day that you surrendered your life to Jesus happened. It's a date. It happened. And, and baptism is not something that, that is the, the saving part of you getting saved. And we know this because Jesus is on the cross. And he's on the cross with one guy that puts his trust in Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say to this guy who put his trust in him, saying, remember me when you get to your glory. He doesn't say, oh, I so wish I could, but you haven't been baptized. If we had a centurion just chuck some water up here, maybe that'd count, but I, I don't know what to tell you. He doesn't say that. He tells him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Why? Because baptism is just a symbol. However, it's more than just a symbol at the same time. Baptism is more than just a symbol. And I know this because of the fact that it means something if I were to take it off. And again, some of you have to have your, your, your ring off. But if for me, what if, what if you, we're all friends here in, in, at the 930 service. What if I was talking with you and I'm like, here's the deal. Um, I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes I take off my wedding ring um, because I don't, sometimes I'm around people, I don't want them to know that I'm married. Because if, 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 if they see me as a married person, they're going to have presuppositions about me. Like, he's super, super, like, into his wife. He's, he's just a really, he's, he's super in love, and he's just, like, out of his mind in love. And I don't know if I want, I don't want all the things that people think of when they think of married people. I don't want them to think that of me. I want them to think of me as maybe a little bit more open-minded and open, you know? Like, but, I mean, listen, when I'm around my wife, I put my wedding ring on. I mean, I'm not, like, a monster. But it's just, it's when I'm, like, in different situations. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm at a bar or if I'm on a, on a business trip, sometimes I just want people to think of me as not being as tied down or like all those other married people. You know what I mean? Now, if I said that, you could call me a lot of things. Most of them you probably wouldn't say here. In fact, if I said that to you, you have every right to punch me straight in the jaw. Because you'd say, Errol, what's, what's wrong with your relationship with Julie that you would feel cool with that? No, 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 no. I love Julie. We're good. Julie and I, were good. You know, when, whenever we're together, we're great. I just, I don't want everyone else to think about me and Julie. I want them to think of Errol. No, Errol, you don't understand. That's messed up. Right? We do the same thing with Christ. See, because baptism, like a wedding ring, is a public declaration. I'm off the market. I am exclusively nailed down to this person. In Christianity, baptism is a way of proclaiming my identity my identity with Jesus. I'm not ashamed. Everyone getting baptized here is proclaiming the fact they're not ashamed to be associated with Jesus. 
Because again, what we oftentimes do is like, like uh, baptism, it sounds great and stuff, but like, this is like for like people who are really, really religious. Like this is the extra credit Christians. <laughs> like I, I don't, I, I want people just to think of me. I don't want them to think of me as being like a religious freak or something. Yeah, I know that he, he said that he wants us to do that, to identify with him, but I, I, Jesus and I are good. I don't need to do this. I don't want people to think that I'm a religious freak. And I would say there's something wrong with your relationship if that's where you're, what you're feeling because what baptism gets, gives you the opportunity is to publicly identify with him. And also this, you know what? When I, when I wear a wedding ring, people know that I'm not just married to Julie because when you get married to someone, are you just marrying the person you're marrying? right? Now, some of your families are crazy town. And when you married that wonderful person you married, you married them and crazy town. And sometimes people don't want to identify with Jesus or in baptism like this, like, no, no, I've got a spiritual relationship with me and God. It's all good. And they, but I don't want to do this because people are going to think like I'm a super religious Christian. And honestly, there's Christians I don't want to align with. Like, if I, tell, if I told someone I got baptized, they would assume that I'm a Christian that does and believes and I'm, that's not me and I don't want to be like that type of person. Like, honestly, I don't want to associate with the crazy town Christians. But here's what baptism is. It's recognizing that the church, those who follow Jesus, who are different and sometimes super crazy town, the church is someone that Jesus calls his bride. And so when we get baptized, we're not just identifying with Jesus and publicly declaring that. We're identifying with the family of God. Even the crazies, especially the crazies. That's what we're proclaiming in baptism. But that last part always has gotten me. When Jesus, at the very, very end of this, is talking about the fact that, listen, I want you to do this. I want you to teach. I want you to make them disciples, which basically means they understand about following me. But before you even teach them all the stuff that I've taught you, I want you to actually baptize them. So they, right after they believe, I want you to go ahead and baptize them. And that, I've always wondered and wrestled with. Why? Why is it like believe and then be baptized and then learn everything else about your faith? Why is it so connected right after you, you, you believe? Until you think about it like this. What is this? Yeah, training wheels. How many of you learned how to ride a bike with training wheels? Okay, a lot of us. Wow, that's bad. Training wheels. Now, when, when your parents put the training wheels on, do they say, don't ever take these off? These are going to be with you till you're 48. <laughs> One day you'll be 65 and you'll retire and they'll give you a gold-plated version of your training wheels. No, training wheels are temporary because they're what? Training. They're training you. They're, they're intended to give you the ability to learn how to steal. Uh, steal. Steal. Steer. <laughs> learn how to steer and pedal and brake. Braking is super important. And the thing that you don't have to worry about is balance. You can have the security of the bike already put in there so that you can learn these other things. And I think that's why Jesus said to have them put their faith in me and then baptize them. Because I believe that baptism is the training wheels of boldness. Jesus strategically placed baptism after believing because it's the training wheels of boldness. You go into the book of Acts, Peter proclaims the gospel to a group of people. 
who are haters against Jesus, all of a sudden they repent, they put their trust in Jesus, and right immediately they go and they get baptized. Why? Because this is training wheels of boldness. Because you are in a world that is not accepting of this, this message, this gospel. It's just not. But here's the cool thing about people who get baptized. When they get baptized, following Jesus' order here, they, these are believers. These are, this isn't saving them. They're already saved. But now they're publicly declaring their allegiance with Jesus, and they go down under the water. And, and when they're up above the water, when the person who's baptizing says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the band is playing, the music's playing, and all of a sudden it's like, it's like this is a man. And then all of a sudden you go underwater. You're just hearing the bass line. And then all of a sudden you come up. And then you're still hearing, because still muffled, because you're, 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 the water's still in your ears, and your skin, your cheeks feel the cold air. And all of a sudden the water comes, goes out, starts to run out of your ears. And all of a sudden it becomes heightened, and you hear everything. And the first thing you hear is not the band. The first thing that these people hear is what? Cheering. Exuberant joy. Because every Christian in the room is saying, that's my story. That's my story. That person's a part of my family of God. And the reason that we do that is because this is the training wheels of boldness. We get baptized in the presence of other believers so that going from a room that's cheering this person's associated with Jesus. I'm not ashamed to be connected to Jesus. And the family of God gives the security and the support so you can go home to a family that maybe doesn't believe and go to work with coworkers that maybe don't believe and go to school with friends who don't believe. And when you say, I'm not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus and I'm gonna let him shape my life, what you don't hear, you don't hear any of the applause. When people are looking at you and asking themselves, what's wrong with you? And yet you're declaring it anyway. And the reason that you can is because you've already had all the security from the training wheels of boldness that happened here. This launches you out there to be able to say something without the applause that you say in here with people coming alongside you. Amen? Amen. I'd like for you to be able to hear that and hear the story of that in these people's lives. So would you just listen to these eight people's story and then we get a chance to see one person get baptized today. Take a look.